welcome to this week international everybody er, er, nothing's made up and the points do matter uh i'm andy and i'm thomas and uh yeah we are here once again so um we decided off air that i will start with our first story and we have a surprisingly middle eastern theme running today so the first mm-hmm. story is I found by just simply by doodling, what's going on with Pakistan these days? Uh, this is from the Hindustan Times, uh, who I don't think are biased. Pakistan opposition alliance against Imran Khan is crumbling with, crumbling with some help from the army. And so this goes on, and I will read some of this until I run out of relevant stuff. Within days of former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif's hard-hitting speech challenging the army leadership's interference in Pakistan's politics, the Grand Opposition Alliance traded to unseat the Imran Khan government seems to be crumbling. Not surprisingly, this comes with a little nudge from the military. While the government was unable to counter much of the allegations leveled by Nawaz Sharif, it was the army that sprung into action as a series of media leaks. The statements which created rifts not only in the political alliance, but in Sharif's own party, PML-N, pitting his brother Shabab Sharif, who is also party president on a coalition course with his daughter, Maryam Nawaz, who is party vice president, and Nawaz's political heir. The first statement after the former premier's speech to a meeting of the alliance came the very next day from the army chief general Kwamar Bajwa himself. Meeting selected parliamentarians, Bajwa and said Pakistani military did not have a role in matters related to politics. He added that the military did not play any part in recent, recently passed FATF-linked legislations. The workings of the National Accountability Bureau and the political proposals for Gildit Baltistan. Gildit Baltistan is a breakaway movement, just FYI. I skipped a paragraph here because it's kind of irrelevant. Uh, insisting political leadership was responsible for all these matters, Bajwa conceded that GB, which I, assume, I can only assume is still in Baltistan, had strategic importance. Therefore, broad-based consultation was necessary. The government is moving ahead with holding elections and declaring province status for Dildit Baltistan. Both opposed by India, which considers it a region within Kashmir and Jameer, illegally occupied by Pakistan, according to India, that is. It's the whole thing. Uh, well, this debate was gathering momentum. It was leaked to the media, media that key opposition party leaders had met. General Bajwa, the head of the ISI, don't know what that is. Lieutenant General Faiz, days ahead of the all-parties conference of the fledgling alliance. Railway Minister... Mr. Shaikh Rashid, who is seen to be close to the military, made this disclosure as he taunted the opposition for criticizing the army. On the one hand, it meeting with it. On the other, it emerged that the meeting was attended by Shabad Shalif, along with his party colleagues, Kajawa Asif and Asan Iqbal, on behalf of the PMLN. Well, the PPP, Pakistan Center of a two-party system, these are like the main two-ish, um, was represented by party chairperson Bilawal Bhutto's Zardari and Senator Sherry Riman. Remember, Pakistan is two houses of parliament. Uh, and this goes on. I'm not sure if this next two-paragraph part is relevant. But the leak embarrassed those who attended. In a hurriedly called press conference, he justified his... Uh, they're talking about uh, Bilawal Bhutto's Zardari. Um, 
justified that the meeting with Prime Minister Imran Khan had failed to engage the op with the opposition on national security issues that have arisen during the, his tenure, such as worsening relations with India following the Pulwama attack. Don't know anything about that. He also said that the issue of Dildit Baltistan was discussed at the meeting. Soon after PML-L, later Maryam Narwaz Shalif, took this opportunity to criticize her allies and take a pot shot at her uncle and party president Shabazz Shalif. She told the media on Wednesday, they, opposition leaders, were called to the GHQ, the military headquarters, on the issue of Gildit Baltistan. This is a political issue that should be settled with the people's representatives. These issues should be decided in the parliament, not the GHQ. Asked if the PMLN leaders who went to see the army and had Nawaz Shalif's blessings, she denied having any knowledge that, however, of that. However, she said the political leadership should not be called, nor should it go discuss issues. And this goes on, and it just has a bunch of reaction by various Pakistani. Uh, what do you think of this? Um, I'm not really following the situation pretty closely. But yeah, it seems interesting. By the way, I just looked up the ISI is the Inter-Services Intelligence. So it's basically like Pakistan CIA. So I mean... So that's that. Yeah. I know Pakistan is a two-party system, kind of like... Pakistani election. I know Pakistan's a two-party system, and I think, like, kind of, because, I mean, yeah, the Pakistani People's Party is relevant, but they're not really, like, well, they're kind of a three-party system, actually. I know Imran Khan is also known for being kind of anti-American as well. I mean, this is kind of irrelevant, so I mean... Yeah, I don't think this is going to be great for Pakistan. And if they're losing, like, I know how much of a thing it can be when a country loses its province. Because if Canada loses Quebec, then that means Ontario has 46% of parliament. So I can only imagine what losing Dildit Baltistan and Kashmir and Jammu would do to Pakistan. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't really have anything on it, then... Um, do you want to move on to the next topic? Yes. Can I uh, do this next one? Sure. So this one's about uh, a cult leader. So, you know, that's going to be fun. So this is from The Guardian. It says, cult leader who claims to be reincarnation of Jesus arrested in Russia. Former traffic officer Sergei Torup, a.k.a. Get this, Vizarian. That's a perfect cult name. Arrested in special operation in Siberia. Okay. So Russian authorities mounted a special operation to arrest a former traffic police officer who claims to be the reincarnation of Jesus and has run a cult based in the depths of Siberia for the past three decades. Helicopters and armed officers stormed communities run by Sergei Torup, known to his followers as Vizarian, and arrested him and two of his aides. Russia's investigative committee said that it would charge him with organizing an illegal religious organization, alleging that the cult extorted money from followers and subjected them to emotional abuse. 
Torp, 59, with long gray hair and a beard, was led by massed troops to a helicopter. The operation involved agents from Russia's FSB security service, as well as police and other agencies. Vadim Redkin, a former drummer in a Soviet-era boy band who is known as Vizarian's right-hand man, what in the was world? also arrested, <laughs> along with another aide, Vladimir Vidernikov. Torup, this is amazing. Lost his job as a traffic officer in 1989, so that was back in the USSR days. Claimed he experienced an awakening as the Soviet regime began to collapse. In 1991, he founded a movement known as the Church of the Last Testament. Several thousand followers live in a series of remote hamlets in the Krasnoyarsk region in Siberia. Converts to the cult have included professionals from all across Russia, as well as pilgrims from abroad. I am not God, and it is a mistake to see Jesus as God, but I am the living word of God the Father. Everything that God wants to say, he says through me, Vizarian told The Guardian in 2002. Russian media reported that the original ideology of the cult, Vizarian claimed Jesus was watching over people, from an orbit close to Earth, and the Virgin Mary was running Russia, but he later declared himself to be Jesus. Nice one. His commune mixes a selection of rites drawn from Orthodox Christianity with environmental edicts and a series of other rules. Veganism is enforced and monetary exchange is banned inside the commune. Followers wear austere clothing and count years starting from 1961 the year of Zarian's birth, while Christmas has been replaced by a feast day on January 14th, his birthday. It is not clear what will happen to the disciples now that their leader has been arrested, nor is it clear why authorities decided to move now. The official Russian Orthodox Church has long condemned the group, but officials have largely left the devotees alone. Some Russian media outlets reported that the community had been involved in dispute with local business interests. Okay, so Andy, There's what the heck here. do you think about that? There's a lot here. I mean, like, uh, I mean, I can't argue the emotional abuse is bad, but many churches are also beneficial to the economy too. I mean, so I can't argue. I can't like. There's, in one sense, I can't argue against it. In another sense, I can. But, like, like I, I, there's a lot of orthodox ideas. Like, Serbian orthodox is pretty cool. Like, I mean, I agree with some of their stuff. But, like, yeah. Emotional abuse, probably not an amazing idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, what about you? I mean, we should probably get it out of the way that he's a cult leader. Yeah, he is. Like, that's pretty important, that he's a cult leader. So, I mean, there's a difference between, like, leading a megachurch or leading a mosque or a synagogue or something and founding a cult and claiming that you're the Messiah or a messenger of the Messiah. So, yeah. Yeah, but, like, the the, the thing is, like, cult, like, I'm not trying to defend this guy, obviously, but, like, cult has become like watered down like there are people who just say every religion is a cult i feel like cult has kind of a hard definition to define like it's really hard to sort of define a cult but i feel like you know a cult when you see one 
if someone told you, hey, Buddhism's a cult, you'd look at them like, what? It's kind of strange. But if you said, hey, Scientology is a cult, you would look at them funny if they disagreed with you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, this is pretty clearly a cult. Cults should be legal as long as they're not killing yeah. people. You have the right to be in a cult, but I don't know. This guy seemed to do some shady stuff. And if there's emotional abuse involved, especially if it's kind of coerced, then I don't know. And then also you need to, I don't know what the deal is with the children. Like, are there like little kids in this cult? I'm assuming I mean, there yeah, are. It's like, it's the same, that's the thing. Like, do you call the black Hebrew Israelites a cult? Cause I've ran into those yes. guys. They're pretty cultish. Like, yes. is Gloria Vale, is the Gloria Vale place a cult? I mean, everybody who is state, who is a state Gloria Vale in New Zealand is, it's like a, Gloria Vale Christian community is an ongoing thing. Like everybody who people have done TED talks about it actually. Well, one that I know of, but like people well, who have escaped there said it's a cult and like I mean there are some other groups that I think you definitely they should definitely at least be considered like potential cults, like Falun Gong. Like, oh, they're yes. really big. Falun they Gong. uh the Epoch Times, Epic Times, I think it's the Epic Times. And then also a Shen Yun Chinese festival are both run by Falun Gong. And then they also have a bunch of other associated groups, like a China Uncensored is also Falun Gong. Um, they have some beauty product stuff that's also <laughs> Falun Gong. So they're basically just like running a marketing. You, it's like, yeah, <laughs> will, it's you weird. Jo- will you join our stretchy organization? You might as well look beautiful with our new makeup yeah. line. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Super weird. They're okay. pretty big in Canada, apparently. But yeah, I, mean, I get yeah, I get Epic Times diverse. ads all the time, and they're Same. always very right wing, and they're always like, "Hey, did you hear what Obama did? Obama did Obamagate, and he did Spygate, and it's bad. And I swear, Obama's in it with the Chinese. <laughs> so okay. like, Please, um, our newspaper only costs a dollar. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I saw one today. Like, <laughs> oh gosh, my. Like, I don't, mine are more, mine are actually pro-American. I actually get pro-American Falun God at, like, their Epoch Times as, but I had one today as well. I'm like, Do you have the honest news to save America? I was like, oh, jeez. And they always have the same spokesperson, too. He's that weird guy with yeah. black hair and glasses. It's, I know. He, he has like the Edward Snowden. face in the world. <laughs> he looks like Edward Snowden. <laughs> Man, his voice, too. It's so strange. Yeah, it's like, I swear. Subscribe for just a dollar. (laughs) Like, I don't know. If there's ever democracy in China, I think he'd probably be whatever their conservative party leader is, like, or the Falun Gong party leader. Probably, like, I don't know what kind of democracy China would possibly use, but... Well, Falun Gong hates the Chinese government. They claim that they're organ harvesting Falun Gong members' organs, and they claim it's because, quote-unquote, Falun Gong improves your health. (laughs) <laughs> and it improves your bodily organs health and by harnessing I mean, special space energy. Like, it's weird. It's like space crystals mixed with uh, right-wing stuff. Yeah. And then also, get this, they hate communism, not because it's communism, but because communism was invented by a European. And it's oh, okay if it's... They're anti-Western. Uh, it's okay if it's in European countries. <laughs> but, you know, in those Asian countries, they're supposed to have traditional Chinese values. They're also uh, very anti-interracial marriage they're they're not big fans of the race mixing so uh yeah you know uh, 
It's like, oh, oh gosh. Like, they're like anti Western conservatives, which I thought would never happen in a million years. It's like, plus they're like. Well, they like the West in the sense that they like capitalism. They don't like Western values being imported to China. Look, they yeah, want I wonder a Western what they would, Europe right, and right. America, and they want Eastern China and Korea and Japan and whatever. I mean, that'd be kind of like it's it's kind of weird though. Like, I wonder what they think of Moon Jae In because Moon Jae In is that she's South Korea's president. Like, I wonder if they think of South Korea in general because like they operate just like a European country. Like, they have a president and a prime minister. Like, Moon Jae In is actually a Catholic. Like, that's the president. So. Well, they have a decent Christian community. It's about, like, I, I believe, 28% oh, yeah. Christian. Oh, yeah. Like, so that's South actually Korea, a it's pretty like, big amount. It's like, it's kind of like a misplaced European big country. big in Asia. Well, yeah, it's now becoming big if it wasn't so not big. It, well, it depends on what you define as Asia, because, like, if you're talking about, like, Iran and, like, Syria, then, no, it's definitely not big. If you're talking about, like, Taiwan, China, well, you have it's even hard to do there because of Buddhism, and if you're an Indonesia Islam, so yeah, it's becoming I'm big more of East for Asia. how big it can become. I'm gonna bet that at least China will probably be about twenty, maybe even thirty percent Christian by 2040, because it's really growing. It's growing faster than Islam, Buddhism, Shinto. Sorry, not Shinto. That's Japan. Um, Confucianism, Taoism. Chinese folk beliefs, like it's growing really fast there. So I think it's definitely going to just keep going up. I never think it's going to be the majority religion in China. Yeah. But I think it'll always be a decently sized minority, especially yeah. with kind of urbanites. There, yeah. I mean, like city dwellers. It's probably going to be big there. And I'm going to guess it's probably going to be more Pentecostal Christianity and less of the Catholic or traditional Lutheran kind. Which, I mean, cool. Um, yeah. Anyway, do you want like, to move on? Oh, sorry. You want to keep talking yeah, about this? No, topic? I was trying to think of a South American country that's kind of like that. I thought it was Colombia, but I can't find which one it is now. Because I think like, athe- I heard something about like, atheism in Colombia, but I'm not sure. Do you want to do another story, or do you want me to do another one? Um, do you want to do another one? Sure. This one's pretty basic. I just need to pull up my research on Algeria. Okay. Uh, I have two articles here. One's like two paragraphs. It's just a Wikipedia page. And the other one is a little bit longer than two paragraphs. Okay, uh, sounds good. This is from Reuters or... Yeah, it's Reuters. I've seen their stuff before. They're a good source, I think. Yeah, I, Reuters and Al Jazeera and Wikipedia are like the three I use most of us. Anyways, um, AP okay, News, apparently. I think this is from... I don't know. I thought it was Reuters, but apparently I'm wrong. Maybe. Okay, so Algeria leader says parliamentary vote before year's end. Uh, the Algerian president, Abdelmadied Taboune, uh, took over for Abdelaziz Bouteflika, who has been in charge basically since Algeria's independence. I used to be related with like Algerian and Libyan recent history, but I'm not anymore. So he recently took over after protests over the beloved Abdelaziz Bouteflika, uh, left office. I love that name, by the way, Budaflika. Um He says parliamentary voting will follow a seven-day referendum in November. 
the next National Assembly, the Lower House of Parliament, which will be, quote, will be made up of lawmakers from university civil society, will serve as the base of the new Algeria, Tabune says, I mean, said in an interview to Algerian newspapers. If the people want to change, it is time to work, not to remain in the ambiguity that prevailed earlier. Tabune was referring to the corruption that highlighted the 20 years of power of Abdelaziz Bouteflika forced to resign. And in April 2019, amid growing peaceful street protests, the push from the then army chief Ahmed Gaid Salah, who died in December, Tabune was was elected promising change, including a new parliament. Though the vote was largely boycotted by the protest movement, the Hirak, the term of the widely distressed lower house left in 2017 was originally set to end in May 2022. By the way, five years, terrible amount of time to have for elections. Go with three years. Um, anyways, a new electoral law foreseen in the constitutional revision will put in safeguards to keep dirty money out of politics. The president said, Adding that with the constitutional revision, Algeria would truly be at the service of the citizen and not at the service of a group exercising domination. The numerous business leaders and two prime ministers have been jailed on corruption charges since the downfall of Budafrika. During a trial, lawmaker Baha Edin Taliba admitted to paying the former chief of the powerful FLN party, Yamal Ud Abbas, to be placed on his list of candidates to ensure him a parliamentary seat. So the proposed changes to this constitutional referendum, the draft, this is from Wikipedia now, the draft constitution provides the appointment for the appointment of prime minister, which I think is what Germany does. Like they elect their parliament and then the prime minister, but I can't be for sure there. Of a prime minister, if the presidential party holds a majority in parliament or a head of government, if another party holds a majority. The aforementioned head of executive of the executive is accountable to the assembly, which should overthrow them by a motion of no confidence. The head of the executive has 30 days to form a government, failing which a new incumbent is appointed. The draft also provides for the replacement of the constitutional council by a constitutional court, something the U.S. could probably use. The retention of the limitation of the number of presidential mandates to two consecutive or not, given that the mandate, and this just goes on, I think this just goes on with more regulations, which I will finish. Um, The mandate of the resigning president is now considered to be fully completed, or the limitation of the mandate of deputies to one re-election, whose parliamentary immunity is now only concerns the exercise of their functions. The initial version provided for the possibility for the president of the republic to appoint a vice president. However, this was removed in the final version. So, I mean, appointing a president, like, I have no objection except for the corruptions. I mean, I mean, I know the FLM is a pretty prominent party in Algeria's parliament. If I can see here, they have, yeah, the FLM has 59 seats out of uh, 144 of the upper house, and they're in control in the lower house, the People's National Assembly of Algeria. So not sure why they needed those extra seats. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't really follow many Middle Eastern or just... Um, I don't follow a lot of non-American or European or, I guess, 
Japanese party systems. Like, if you were going to ask me, well, I guess that's not true. I follow the Israeli party systems a bit, but I don't really know much about party systems in Algeria or Morocco or Tunisia or any of those places. But I don't know. I do know a little bit about it. I know the FLN is a major party in Algeria, even though they're like kind of like a far left party. They're like socialist left-wing nationalists. And they're like in this weird coalition with a populist right-wing party or with a uh, government and like their upper house. is like a bunch of appointed members and stuff. But uh, yeah, I know when Algeria broke away from France, Bouteflika was like, if you look at Algerian elections, Bouteflika, I understand, was pretty popular in Algeria. Except for when he resigned from yeah. protests. Yeah, he won 81%, which, I mean, he actually was not a dictator, so... I mean, I know he was... I know he Is that he real, 81%. though? Yeah, no, I don't was. trust that. I don't trust anything above 70%. Well, I mean, because there were previous leaders before him that won less. I mean, I do think, like, I mean, he may have been one of those people, like, he was kind of your only option, like how New Zealanders view Yacinda Ardern in the upcoming New Zealand election, something I have been procrastinating to talk about on this podcast. And, I mean, his Ardern is she's projected expected to, to get, like, 60 out of like 120, it's like, like 60. It's some crazy number like that. I mean, par- the parallel vote will probably do something weird, but um, <laughs> that'll do something, probably do something weird with that. I don't that, know, but, I uh, just don't buy it. Yeah. I mean, you're totally free to not buy it. I don't know. It, but, yeah. So. I, think, I think he's rigging it. I don't buy anything, again, I don't buy anything above 70%. Really? I mean, like, 70%. So think about it. That means that the rest of the parties, you got twice as more votes as the rest of the parties combined. Like, really? That's going to happen? Like, we haven't had that happen in the U.S. since, since... James Monroe in 1820. So like, it's like, you just really? Yourself. And we didn't, that doesn't even really count because he was basically on a post. George Washington, too. We haven't had an election where there were other candidates, but someone got 70% of the popular vote. Yeah, well, well, even FDR in the 1930s, he didn't get 70%. Reagan didn't get 70% in the 1980s. Of course, with LBJ the Electoral College, Reagan got 90%. In the 1960s. <laughs> of course, with the, ele- yeah, the Electoral well, College, the Reagan vote. gets 90 I don't buy anything. Yeah, okay. That, that, I mean, that's yeah, and the Electoral College is like, dumb, so. If he had gotten like 70% of Parliament, like, the only way he could have done that is if he used the DeHaunt method. Well, actually, no, not even the DeHaunt method. Like, it's, it's the use of sort of PR method, or I can't remember what Nepal uses, but I think it's the DeHaunt method to give out seats. Like, is that the one that you hate? <laughs> no, the, well, the DeHaunt method is okay-ish. I mean, I'd rather prefer the Webster's method. No, the yeah. one I can't stand is uh, the board account. I, don't, I like there's nothing. There's no redeeming features in board account. It's like worse than the electoral college. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know. It just seems kind of shady on this uh, Algerian guy, Bouteflika. Yes, Bouteflika. Love Still that alive, name. wow. So do we want to go with the Turkmenistan story next, or do we want to go yes. with the China story next? We are undoubtedly going with Turkmenistan. 
Okay, so I guess China's being saved for last. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is just hilarious to read. I know, right? This is from Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Or I oh, guess... yeah, they cover a lot of Turkmenistan stuff. Yeah, rfverl.org. I should start checking out this site. This seems pretty interesting. But anyway, it says the global death toll from the coronavirus is more than 879,000, with more than 26 million infections confirmed, causing mass disruptions as governments continue to try to slow the spread of the respiratory illness. Here's a roundup of COVID-19 developments in RFE slash RL's broadcast regions. So by the way, this article doesn't just cover Turkmenistan, but I'm just going to be talking about Turkmenistan. It also covers, I know, Armenia, and that might be it, actually. Turkmenistan and Armenia. I'm not going to be talking about Armenia, but I am going to be talking about Turkmenistan. Okay, so let's go. Hospitals are being inundated with patients showing acute COVID-19 symptoms in Turkmenistan, the only country in Central Asia where no coronavirus cases have been officially registered. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Turkmenistan the only country in the world where no COVID-19 cases have been registered? Like, Actually, I know even the uh, Vatican has cases. They have, like, fact, 13. Uh, I, think, I, don't think Amer- I think American Samoa actually has no COVID cases, and I think they also totally avoided the Spanish flu back in 1918 as well. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Huh. I think, so, uh, I don't know. Although, American Samoa is part of America, so I guess. Plus, they're like 55,000 people. That's like, uh, that's like, this, that's one-tenth the size of Wyoming, which is small, so. What the heck is Turkmenistan's population? I'm just curious. Oh, I used to know this because I used to oh, be a Turkmenistan nerd. Um, I, I, got, I got it, by the way. Okay. 5.851 million. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I just pulled that up off the internet, but it's probably true. Yes. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, fastly growing population. Well, it is a Central Asian Muslim country, so what do you expect? In a sign of the deteriorating situation, medical personnel complained that they were being forced against their will to work in quarantine zones for two-week stints while having to pay from their own pockets for PPE, or personal protection equipment. In some cases, experienced nurses said they were barred from leaving quarantine zones for more than two months. Turkmenistan's government still clings to the narrative that the country has no cases of coronavirus, even though practically no one believes that claim. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's Many people say that they prefer to stay at home for treatment, fearing that they may be infected with the coronavirus while staying at hospitals that are overwhelmed with patients with COVID-19 symptoms. The bodies of those who have died of COVID-19, like lung diseases, are being delivered to their relatives in special plastic bags, and the number of fresh graves across the country is increasing exponentially. The World Health Organization on August 7th expressed concerns over the increase of atypical pneumonia cases in Turkmenistan and called on Ashgabat to allow it to organize independent COVID tests in the country. So... What do you think about that? I mean, one, you have to understand the favorability of Turkmenistan's government. Like, I've asked around on Reddit, and, like, I asked who is a better president, uh, because since their independence, they've had two. 
Gurbanguly Berdimuhamadov and Saparmurat Niazov, who had a terrible childhood and ended up dying. Um, oh. Who, who I think he think he died in office. You can read about Saparmurat Niazov's childhood. It's kind of terrifying. But like the Berdimuhamadov government, I knew about President Muhammadov's government denying COVID cases for quite some time now. They have a really high media censorship there. Their government censors everything. And I guess it's kind of depressing, but then again, we don't know how good the media would be because look at American media, which is totally not censored by the government that we know of. And yeah, things like Fox News and CNN have happened. But um, those disasters happened, have happened. Uh, I've listened to, like, I used to listen to a lot of Turkmen music. No, that sounds weird, but I did. And, like, they've imprisoned, like, rock stars from Turkmenistan who, like, mysteriously went missing. And so this is kind of an odd place we're talking about where you should and should not be surprised. Like, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but Bernie Muhammadu also produced, his government also produced eight candidates to, quote, run against him. And he, quote, won. So, um, oh, yeah, is it the 2017 election that you're talking about? Yeah, I think I think that's it. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird yeah. place we're we're talking about here. This is so fake. Oh my! I mean, gosh. like, how are they going to like say like how what those people died of? Are they say mysteriously dead, or like are they going to totally deny that nobody died of nobody died of any pandemic in Turkmenistan? Like, what happens here? And, like, I know they're going to do know, what folks in the U.S. do, where they're just like, yeah, you know, they died of heart conditions and stuff. <laughs> like, you know, come on, man, it's just a, it's just a kidney issue that has uh, been accelerated for some strange reason. You know, it's not it's not COVID. We don't have COVID. We're we're uh, special. We don't have COVID. Yeah, We're doing everything right. There's people who follow nationalism, the most pointless ideology in the entire list of ideologies. Yeah, those people. Those are. That's not good. Um, but, so uh, yeah, yeah, this is kind of a wacky story, and I don't actually know if they'll ever be honest, but. I would be really curious about how many cases they actually do have. I'll grant them that they probably have less cases than some other similarly sized countries just because their border is so closed that that oh, could yeah. help. It's like like they definitely don't have as many cases as like the US, the U.S. when it comes to a per capita. We allow a lot of people to come in, like Turkmenistan. They're based. They're like I'm not to say they're like North Korea, but yeah, they're pretty isolationist. Well, people have compared them to North Korea, but yeah, I guess what I meant is like Turkmenistan is about five million people, so they might have less cases per five million people than the U.S. does per five million people. Like Turkmenistan is also like North Korea because of their dictator, like. Bernie Habedov has the same weird obsessions with odd things like Kim Jong Un does, like. Kim Jong-un is obsessed with the accordion. Berta Muhammadu is obsessed with white marble and horses. He, yeah. like, he wrote like, this really creepy poem about horses once, too. It's like, it reminds me of uh, Ramzan... What's his name? Ka- Ramzan, Ramzan Katarov, the leader of Chechnya. Who yeah, said, there reminds are me of him. He said, who said there are definitely no gay people in Chechnya. <laughs> probably his most infamous claim. <laughs> probably has some in his family. 
Who uh, who knows? Um, Poor guys. But anyway. Okay. So uh, yeah. Do we want to move on? Uh, yeah. Do we want to get to your final story? Or you want to get to my final story? Uh, I'll just do mine real quick since. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um. This is something I've followed for quite some time. I used to be really informed about Libya and stuff. So before I read this story by Al Jazeera, which is Turkey continued to supporting Libya's GNA even if Al Sarraj quits. So a little background here. So after the Libyan civil war and overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi, aren't they still in a civil war? Kind of. So what's happening is there's this general named Khalifa Haftar. He is uh, one of the few people I've watched interviews with is actually Libya's president, Fayez Al-Salaj. I know it sounds like a weird person to choose to watch an interview with, but so it goes. Um, So Khalifa Haftar was an ex-Gaddafi buddy, and uh, I'll call him that. And so until Gaddafi kind of kicked him out and then the Arab Spring ended and he got educated in the United States, I think. And then he he originally came back to like start fighting Al Qaeda and eventually has now decided to try and overthrow Fayez al-Salaj, the incumbent leader of Libya. And this is actually an international issue over who supports who. I think countries such as the UAE, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia all support uh, Haftar over, Haftar's overtake of Libya over uh, UN Batfayez al-Salaj. Actually, I think Donald Trump also supports Khalifa Haftar as well, even though he's kind of like going against the United States. Because if you remember correctly, the United States was like, against Gaddafi and so Haftar fighting uh, it's kind of an odd situation where everybody's flip sides and like it's kind of weird so I'll read this thing from Al Jazeera which is uh, since 2014 oil rich Libya has been split between rival powers based in the west and east and is sometimes the chaotic war that has been drawn outside powers and the flood for foreign arms and mercenaries Al-Saraj is head of the GNA since its formation in late 2015 as a result of United Nations brokered political agreement aimed at uniting and establishing Libya after turmoil that followed the top leader of the regime of longtime leader Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. Turkish military support of the, for the GNA in June allowed it to repel a 14-month-long offensive by forces loyal to eastern-based renegade commander Khalifa, Khalifa Haftar, who is supported by the UAE, Egypt, and Russia. Oh, so that's who it was. I thought it was Saudi Arabia. My bad, Saudi Arabia. The GNA declared a ceasefire last month and called for a lifting of a months-long block. Khalifa Haftar dismissed the calls but said Friday that he would lift for one month his blockade on oil outputs and that he agreed with the GNA on fair distribution of energy revenue. I think I'm missing a page in my article, but if that makes sense, that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, that's... um. The updates from the Haftarverse, I mean, we also kind of made it up to Turkey on this podcast. If you remember, it was totally, like, against Turkey, so. Don't you, uh, <laughs> yeah. wait, isn't there also uh, some other forces there? Like, don't you have the Tuareg and the Tubu fighting there, too? Yeah, there's a lot of local tribes that are involved in this as well, like. Oh. They should, I, mean, I, I support them. 
No. I know that like I know Zimbabwe is involved, and I know like huh. Canada's involved. I think, and like somebody else, I can't remember who, but it's just like this really arbitrary list of countries that are involved. So uh, yeah, um, you have anything you want to add? I don't think so. Just that it seems like a lot of people are switching sides. Apparently, the the HOR, the House of Representatives, that's based in Tobruk, they're allied with uh, Russia and the Wagner Group. So that's interesting. I don't really know much about the Wagner Group, but at Wikipedia says they're a Russian paramilitary organization. So I think that's interesting. And it looks like they're kind of working together with Khalifa Haftar. And then you have the U.S. who's kind of taken some strange positions on all this. It's kind of hard yeah, to really I mean, they fought against, figure out what the heck they're... Yeah, like, we can't, is. like, figure out what we're doing here. It's just, like, it's all over the place. Like, us in Libya, oh boy. Um, and then you had ISIL, who is gone. Yeah, ISIL's kind of... Yeah, ISIL just disappeared from most of the war. Everything. Yeah, like, there might be some ISIL here and there, but I don't know. They're out of Syria... They're out of Yemen, I believe. I know Al-Qaeda is still in Yemen. I think they're out of Afghanistan. Um, shoot, is Boko Haram part of... Are they ISIL or Al-Qaeda connected? I totally I forgot. Don't know. Uh, Let me look. I'm curious now. I think they're ISIS connected or ISIL. Whatever. It, both are correct. Yeah, they are connected to ISIL. But I don't think they have that much power anymore. They seem to be going down in their popularity, for lack of a better word. I guess control is probably a better word. Yeah. They don't have much control of the area. So do you have anything more to say or do you want to move on to my final topic or what? We can move on. Okay, so this is a final topic. It is about China. And more specifically, believe it or not, not the Uyghurs. We're going to be talking about Inner Mongolia. And the Mongols in China, which, fun fact, there are more Mongols in China than there are in actual Mongolia. That's just kind of a random fact. The Mongols in China, they are outnumbered by the Han Chinese in Inner Mongolia, interestingly. So, actually, I did the math a while ago. If Inner Mongolia joined the Republic of Mongolia, the country would become majority Han Chinese because that, there are so many Han Chinese in Inner Mongolia. Yeah, that would definitely make things uh, interesting. In, Boy, that would um, be awkward. The state Kural, I think Mongolia's pro- uh, parliament is called. Let me check. I need to check, but keep going. I mean, Mo- dear Mongolia, if you're interested in acquiring territory, you have a better shot with Russia than yeah. with China. Like, ask yeah. them for Buryatia or whatever it's called. Buryatia, yeah. Buryatia, the little golf club-shaped thingy up north that has a bunch of Mongols in it. It's a dependent Republic of Russia, and that's a thing. But yeah. anyway, back to this article. It's from the LA Times, believe it or not, which is kind of strange that they're publishing an article about China, but who knows? Yeah. It says, threats of arrest, jobs loss and surveillance china targets its model minority so they always claim hey look these Uyghurs are very violent and stuff we have look at the inner mongolians they're uh 
they're all good. They they don't rebel against us. Well, hmm, about that. Anyway, <laughs> we have no way out. There's nothing we can do," said Gang Batar, a herder in Jilingo League, a central part of China's Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region, where mass protests broke out three weeks ago when the government implemented a new bilingual education program. To replace the Mongolian language with Chinese in half of Mongolian school classes, I agree with that. By the way, sorry, I agree that they shouldn't be replacing it with Chinese. Like, same. If you need to learn Chinese, learn Chinese in your own time. It shouldn't be mandatory. Uh, you should let it's them like how Latin, keep their traditions. It's like how Latin shouldn't be taught here. It's just we're not using that, teachers. Anyways, keep going. You should learn whatever language you want. Yeah. And sure. whatever language interests you and whatever language reflects who you are. Yeah. I don't think we should have one language that should be the go-to language for foreign language learning or just I mean, native language learning. I mean, we kind of do. It's called Esperanto, except it's not really go-to, is it? Well, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one no one learns Esperanto. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, no one really actually speaks Esperanto. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Demonstrations against the program have appeared to have been largely suppressed. More than 90% of children who had boycotted school in Jilangal were back in class, including his own, said Gang Batar, who asked that his full name not be used for fear of retribution from authorities. Yeah, you know, China's got that social credit system, so yeah, you know, you got to be real careful when you're around the authorities there. If you don't send the kids to school... They take away your jobs, said Gang Batar. You can't get subsidies or loans from the banks. They put you on a blacklist. They're arresting the people who sign petitions. They have all kinds of methods. The Chinese government's crackdown on Inner Mongolia has been swift and unsurprising, using a familiar arsenal of tactics, surveillance, financial, and occupational threats, detention, social credit, blacklisting, there it is, and media control, often deployed against ethnic minorities and others deemed to be a threat to social stability. But it is remarkable for taking place in what has long been known as China's model minority region. The bilingual program has raised criticism from Mongols within China and across the border in Mongolia, but has also drawn a rare rebuke from the Communist Party elite in Beijing. Whoa, let's uh, keep going. The protests, however, have not deterred the government's resolve to erode minority cultural identity. Last week, local authorities in the city of Jilinhot, the seat of the government in Jilinjo, announced via WeChat that parents who did not send their children to school by September 17th would lose access to government subsidies. High schoolers who did not attend classes would be expelled and blocked from taking the college entrance exam. Banks would stop loans for the next five years to any parents who did not comply. A separate government notice stated that parents who did not abide would be placed on an untrustworthy persons list and face restrictions on jobs, special market transactions, cross-border travels, home reconstruction, and other actions requiring good social credit standing. Zhilinhont authorities announced last week they've successfully brought all 3,469 students 
in the area's Mongolian language schools back into class. Chinese ethnicities as one close family building the China dream with one heart declared bright white Chinese and Mongolian letters against a red background on top of the announcement. Well, culturally, that's debatable. Genetically, that's definitely not true. I mean, Mongolians and Chinese may look similar, especially Northern Chinese, but, I mean, the languages are nothing alike. I mean, yeah, one if If the Mongolian language, uh, if we do have, like, world language families, then the Mongolian language is more is likely to be closely related to English than it is to be related to Chinese, if there are, like, world language families, which there probably aren't. It is just kind of its own thing. Kind of like how Japanese is just its own thing. And Greek and stuff. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Well, Greek is not completely its own thing. I think Greek is distantly connected to, like, English and stuff. And so is Russian. But Mongolia is just kind of off on its own when it comes to languages and history. Like, Mongolian history is nothing like Chinese history. It's more interesting, in my opinion. But, yeah. Several of the individuals were targeted for stability control because they called for protests or posted messages on WeChat about apparent Mongolian suicides. The Southern Mongolian Human Rights Information Center, a New York-based rights center, said that nine Mongols, mostly teachers and students, had committed suicide in recent weeks after coming under government pressure. This article is really long, so I might stop it at some point, just so you know. The Times was not able to reach families of the deceased, but reviewed two government documents acknowledging the suicides of a 17-year-old girl and a 33-year-old woman in early September. The government noticed claimed that the girl had jumped from the fourth floor of a school building after fighting with a classmate during a dance rehearsal, and that the woman suffering depression had also jumped from a building. Okay, so I'm just going to paraphrase the rest of this article because it's going to be really long if we keep going at the rate that I'm going. So I'm just going to paraphrase this. So basically, the article keeps saying that the crackdown in Inner Mongolia is startling because Mongols are more integrated than other groups like the Uyghurs or the Tibetans or probably even the Hui. The Hui are a Chinese Muslim ethnic group in central China. The Inner Mongolian Autonomous Region was created in 1947, uh, two years before the communists took control of China, and Mao promised them genuine autonomy, and they were convinced that everything was good. And it became the model for other autonomous regions. But the uh, minority autonomy has never been fully upheld, according to Uridin Bulag, an anthropologist from Cambridge University, who is also from Inner Mongolia. By the way, I just do have to say, Mongolian names are some of the coolest names ever. Like I, swear. I know, right? I, I mean, who doesn't love Dictus Khan? I mean, oh my. <laughs> yeah, there is one guy, I just remember I was reading about his name. Check out this name, Boronchar Monkog. Like, I know, tell me right? the coolest name in the I world. I mean, like, if you look at the um, Mongolian election, I'm looking at the names of their candidates. I mean, Bandrachin Naidala, I mean, or Naidala, and um, Nambarin Entbayar. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. kind of awesome. Anyways, go ahead. Okay, within a few years of the formation of the People's Republic, 
large numbers of Han Chinese settlers moved into the region, soon outnumbering the Mongols. During the Cultural Revolution, calls for inter-Mongolian autonomy prompted Chinese individuals to accuse Mongols of separatism, and more than 20,000 Mongols were officially, were ultimately killed, sorry, according to official numbers and approach against a so-called secret party that the Communist Party later acknowledged didn't exist. Oh, that's really a shade, just like make up a party and then use them as an excuse to kill a bunch of Mongols. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a hot take. Um, but I do kind of agree. Like, they shouldn't... Like, look, at, think about it this way. Do we really want a bunch of Americans moving on to Native American reservations? Like, imagine if we just had, for some reason or another, a ton of random Wyomingites moving into South Dakota and moving on to the... Uh, Dakota. The Lakota Sioux Reservation. Like, just imagine... That would feel weird. It seems strange. Like, it'd just be like, why? Like, move somewhere else. Just don't be on there. Like, they, ha- they have that place for them. So, I don't know. Maybe they... I don't know. Maybe it should just be a Mongol area. Especially when, again, they're an ethnic minority. And, you know, they should be respected. Anyway, inner Mongolian residents, I'm still paraphrasing have embraced integration into Chinese society better than the Uyghurs or Tibetans, and that is helping them economically, yet they are still anxious over losing their Mongolian languages because of all this whole Chinese language requirements stuff. Xi Jinping has been changing a lot of the ethnic policy, and he wants to basically make everyone more Chinese, basically assimilate everyone. Um, where have we heard that before? We've heard that throughout history so many times. You know your government's racist when they have to make ethnic policy. Yeah, exactly. They claim that this is civilizing them and that the Han Chinese way of life is superior. Um, I don't believe in ethnic superiority in a sense. Yeah, I think same. that superiority is pretty relative. Like, were probably superior to other um, countries in some ways. And I know for a fact, some countries are definitely superior to us and others. And ethnic wise, we're not even going to get into it. That's a, that is a dumb thing that deserves a full episode. If we ever do one on basically race and IQ. And if it's a legit, if there's a legit correlation in it, and if it's genetic, which I'll just give you a spoiler. It's not it's not genetic, it's environmental. But that's for another time. The shift has drawn attention from Mongols in Mongolia, where people are protesting in traditional outfits in Ulaanbaatar, which is, of course, the capital of Mongolia. And the former president of Mongolia, again, another one of these really cool names, Sakajin Elbeg Dorj, he said, you cannot separate a person's language and culture from the person. And he claimed it was hurting the inner Mongolians. The Chinese foreign minister, Wang Li, told Mongolian media last week that Elbig Dorj was two-faced for speaking in support of inner Mongolian protesters using a term authorities deployed in Xinjiang, a region in northwestern China, against Uyghur intellectuals detained in camps on suspicion of being disloyal to China. I swear, we're, <laughs> this is going to come up every episode. Like... If we're going to ever make a This Week International bingo card, 
You should put elections, and then you should put Xinjiang. You got two free spaces automatically. Yes. Anyway, meanwhile, in Turkey, yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, in Beijing, Ma Zhaoli and elite party members whose father was close to Xi's father spearheaded a public letter protesting the crackdown in Inner Mongolia. It called for a retraction of the order, an apology to Mongols, an end to coercive methods, and arbitrary arrests, and no labeling of protesters as political criminals or tools of foreign anti-China forces. Okay, that's actually good. So good job, dude. The letter was signed by 18 former sent-down youth who spent years laboring in Inner Mongolia during the Cultural Revolution. More urban young people were sent to rural regions. They'd witnessed how Inner Mongolia had suffered in the area, yet remained loyal to China afterwards. Most Mongol comrades, comrades, yes, are patriotic, law-abiding citizens, loving the country and loving one's ethnic group, and are not in conflict. We're deeply concerned that if the situation continues, a peaceful Inner Mongolia will be turned into a second Xinjiang. How that would pain the heart. Uh, despite the extraordinary resistance, there are no signs that the language policy or China's broader shift in ethnic policy are going to change. Last week, China's state council released a white paper on what rights groups have called forced labor in Xinjiang, stating that about 1.29 million mostly ethnic Uyghur workers had gone through vocational training, in air quotes, annually from 2014 to 2019, and that this had improved the people's material and cultural lives. Oh, yes. Yes, China, we should trust you on improving people's lives. Yes, you were the most accurate and honest source. There's nothing shady about trusting you, considering everything you've done. <laughs> On Tuesday's authorities sentenced real estate tycoon Ren Shikuang, an elite party insider who criticized Xi's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, to 18 years in prison. Wow. Sending a signal that even the party's princeling elites are not safe from punishment. The police source in Air Mongolia said he was on the edge of breakdown. He knew a musician had been detained and a friend who working at a TV station who had been forced to write a self-criticism under threat of losing her job. A classmate of his and a classmate's father were under 24-hour surveillance. He feared for his own safety, he said, but had no way out. Okay, okay, okay. What do you think about this? I mean, it's a lot, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. Uh... China is not an amazing place. I mean, if Inner Mongolia wants to go towards Mongolia, they can go towards Mongolia. And if they don't want to go towards China, then they want to go towards China. But, I mean, they may be better off as their own independent state. Who knows? I mean, instead of Mongolia. This always backfires, by the way. Like, in the UK, the British tried to do this with the uh, Irish... They tried to be like, oh, hey, you guys are British. You should stop speaking your language and quit that whole Catholicism thing and become English Protestants like us. And you should hang out in London and hang out in Lancaster and whatever. And it backfired. I mean, the Irish did stop speaking Irish basically because it was prohibited, but... Irish are some of the most nationalistic people in the world. And it's actually not a right-wing nationalism, it's a left-wing nationalism, which really tells you something about like how... Mexico. 
It's like um, AMLO. Yeah, like Mexico. The left-wing like, nationalists. <laughs> or the French Canadians, although that gets a little yeah. bit more complicated. But yeah, this is not going to work out in China's favor. There, China already looks super suspicious to a world stage. Like, really? You guys are in the right here? Like, most countries don't really have much respect for the Chinese. They mostly just, like, praise them because they know they kind of have to because... I mean, yeah. let's be honest. If we got into a war with China, China has the supply chains. They could win. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know their military is a lot worse, but they have the supply chains. Bigger army <laughs> diplomacy. <laughs> That's pretty important. They also have a lot more people than we do. Yeah. I don't know. So you just kind of have to be careful when speaking to China on the international stage, but we are not. Uh, we are not these diplomatic ambassadors international. We are this week international. So we are free to talk about anything we want. And we are going to criticize China based <laughs> on their uh, human rights record. Again, I've, I've given China some credit before. Like, I mean, I'll give them credit that, that a lot of the Falun Gong stuff is totally fake. I don't think China is harvesting the organs of the Falun Gong. That seems made up. And I don't see any evidence to support that. But China still does a lot of crazy, freaking insane stuff. Yeah, like their lease, it's, yeah, like terminating their lease on Hong Kong early and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah or who knows what will come next? I mean, they don't just have the Inner Mongolians, the Tibetans, and the Uyghurs, and the Hui. They also, they also have some other groups, like they're in the... Deep down south, they have the Zhuang, who are basically related to the Thai people from Thailand. And I don't know if anything's going to happen with them. Probably is, just knowing China. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So, uh, um, if you don't mind wrapping this up, unless you had something else. No, I'm all done. I'm I'm all done. So, um, I guess this has been This Week International episode for our first not prime number yeah first comp- it'd be our first composite number yeah so uh, this has been first composite number one of this week international so uh you can find us on google podcasts i'm not sure about apple podcast uh spotify where we get most of our listeners from like 90 percent um hockey cast and breaker are two of yeah ones. breaker breaker please tell us how to pronounce your name uh, currently have RSS feed. We're also on Instagram at TWI12404. We're on Reddit at U underscore capital T and this W week enter capital I there. And then another underscore. And um, we're on BK, which we're still trying to figure out how to operate Russia. So um, that's all. I guess we'll talk next time. Okay. Have a good one.